I am deeply honored to introduce today's guest, Abdullah Talar, a distinguished applied physicist and former rector of Bilkent University. He has had a remarkable journey marked by academic excellence and impactful leadership. From his early days as a top student, graduating with a perfect 4.0 GPA from Middle East Technical University, he showcased his commitment to learning and research. His academic journey laid the successful foundation for a career bridging academia and industry, offering valuable insights into their similarities and differences. At Stanford University, Abdullah Talar gained further experiences that influenced his perspective on education and research. His tenure as rector of Bilkent University for 12 years allowed him to understand the intricacies of university leadership, making important decisions that shaped the institution. Dr. Otalar's dedication to improving higher education is evident in his work on innovative funding solutions for universities in developing countries, addressing critical global challenges in academia. Throughout his career, Otalar's passion for advancing imaging techniques, particularly in acoustic and atomic force microscopy, has been central. His pioneering work in these areas showcases his commitment to scientific exploration and precision. Looking forward, Abdullah Talar continues to explore new research frontiers, demonstrating his unwavering commitment to the pursuit of knowledge and the advancement of applied physics. His life and career stand as a beacon of inspiration for those aspiring to make a significant impact in the world of science and education. Here is our conversation. Please welcome Abdullah Talar. starting from high school and most likely even from before. You're an inspiration to many, so can you paint me a picture of how your life has evolved and what created your interest in research? Okay. Uh, well, I was uh, born in 1950s. Yeah. About uh, nine years after the Second World War. Mm-hmm. In 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 uh, Anatolia, in yeah. Gaziantep. Um, at the time, the schools in Gaziantep uh, were not yet uh, good enough. Uh, so my father decided to take our family to Ankara so that we can get a good, better education. Sure. So when I was. Uh, <clears throat> Well, actually, first year I went to school in a uh, village school in Hirfanban. Wow! Uh, because I knew how to read and write before coming to school, they started me at the second year. <laughs> nice. So I was always one year younger than my classmates. Yeah. By the way, this is not a very good idea. Uh, because you are always uh, shorter, you are always weaker, <laughs> and. Even though I was interested in sports, I was never in the sports team of the class. Uh, sure. So I always was uh, the small kid. 
Anyway, uh, then uh, after one year in that uh, village school, then uh, we, uh, we moved to Ankara. Mm -hmm. And then I started school in uh, Ankara. Uh, I finished uh, Alpaslan Kukulu. Uh, right now, right next to Bashkent Hospital. Yeah, nice. Uh, and then um, I um, continued my middle uh, school education in Denimelisis, Denimortal School, Denimelisis. And then I, um, I was one of the top two or three students in my class. Right. Not the top one, but top three, two, two or three. <laughs> and I, that, that made me qualify for entrance to uh, Ankara Science School exam, Fantasy exam. Yeah. At the time, not everybody can enter the exam. Yeah, of in its first years, only the select students from all schools in Turkey were able to attend. Yeah, only the most talented, sure. Uh, not, not because of that, it's to provide diversity. Ah, right. So that the kids from uh, you know far parts of the, uh, Turkey have a chance to study in Ankara, Venice's. Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. yeah. Later, that idea was changed. Mm. Uh, that so, uh, rule was changed. I think it's for bad. Uh, but at first, uh, uh, I don't know how many years. Th th this was the way it is. Yeah. And it's actually uh, uh, there is a. In, uh, in New York, there is a school called Bronx School of Science. Yeah. Ankara Fences was modeled after that school. Oh. Yeah. Uh, with the, uh, uh, and that's the way they were taking uh, students in. Mm. From every student, every classroom, top two or three students take the exam, and yeah. among them, they choose the best ones. But that makes uh, diversity in the yeah. classroom. For example, in my classroom in high school, mm -hmm. there were people from uh, Edirne yeah. and Arda. Wow! Yeah. Very diverse school. Yeah. Really, very diverse school. <clears throat> well, in, in, in middle school, I was interested in science. Uh, and how did that start? Well, actually, uh, there wasn't many things that we could be uh, interested. Uh, interested. There was no internet. <laughs> there was no books. Even books. In, in, I'm talking about 60s, early 60s. Mm -hmm. We cannot even buy books. Well, uh, you know, I, I read all my books several times each. Uh, I had a few books. No. And uh, interesting things were uh, things in my science uh, uh, book uh, in the cl cl class book, mm -hmm. textbook of the uh, science class <laughs> was interesting yeah, sure. because there were things about uh, electrical measurements, mm -hmm. and I remember uh, a thing that measures the static electricity. Oh. I built one myself, and I was very in elementary uh, in middle school. Wow. So uh, that was something, you know, to show around yeah. and to, to be proud of. So I, I, I was interested in batteries. Mm -hmm. I tried to build a, a battery uh, using lead-acid battery. Oh, lead-acid. Uh, lead-acid battery. Because at the time that was the only type of battery. <laughs> uh, lead, I bought lead. Yeah. I, I, with my little uh, monthly allowance, I also tried to buy sulfuric acid. 
wow. try to make a, a, a Maybe lead, lead acid battery. Uh, yeah. It didn't work, ah. but I tried anyway. <laughs> yeah, that that brings you so many knowledge that you can. And then I, I I started in uh, in the high school. I, uh, Ankara Fences. At the time, it was the only fences in Turkey, and um, we had just. For for us uh, for an experimental lover, it was miracle at the time. At the time, not not, not anymore. But at the time, you know, I, I remember I remember our chemistry lab. Chemistry lab was full of thousands of chemicals. Wow, coming from United States, it was modeled after Bronx School of Science, and everything was new. We had. Uh, weighing scales yeah. that can measure milligrams. We yeah. had all kinds of uh, chemicals. Yeah. Chemistry lab was incredible. And then uh, biology lab was incredible. We had microscopes. <laughs> and we were, uh, and we had very good teachers. The selected teachers were also very uh, select ones. Mm -hmm. And they actually gone to the United States to learn the materials that uh, yeah, they're supposed to, provide. They're supposed to uh, write. And actually some of them were translators of the books. Mm -hmm. And the science books, all science books and mathematics books, were uh, the result of uh, America's uh, they were translated from uh, American, uh, textbooks. American textbooks, mm -hmm. and they were special textbooks written by Nobel laureates. Ah, awesome. <laughs> uh, in, uh, in 19, uh, late 1950s, when Russia, at the time of course Soviet Union, was uh, into the space first, ahead of the United States, United States Congress worried about. They said, ah, oh, we thought we were, we, we were we, they thought we were ahead. Mm -hmm. uh, and they said, we, we are not ahead. Yeah, Soviets okay. are ahead of us. Mm -hmm. Now we should in, generate, invest, in, more. invest more in science, science education. So uh, United States Congress passed a bill mm -hmm. to write four books. Yeah. Mathematics, physics, chemistry, and those four and, books. And those four books are the ones we studied. Wow! <laughs> and interestingly, uh, okay, mathematics uh, book uh, contains what we call now modern mathematics, contains sets and stuff like that, mm -hmm. uh, but not a whole of a lot different than regular mathematics. Ah, sure. Uh, physics book was great. It was written by MIT. Professors in MIT wrote the book. Oh my God! It has everything. Einstein was in it. Wow! It was very advanced book. It was a very advanced book, and the problems were very difficult at the end of each chapter. Yes, it's still available. Yes, it is still available. Yeah. It's called PSSC books. When you enter, I think you can find in old. Uh, old uh, libraries. Uh, well, not just libraries. They may be selling some uh, <laughs> in old, old, old bookstores and stuff. Yeah, for collectors. Mm -hmm. And chemistry book was excellent also. Mm -hmm. And every uh, textbook had, 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 had a uh, li uh, 
every week there was a lab. Oh, yeah. I remember our first chemistry lab. They gave us one candle. Yeah. Light the candle mm -hmm. and describe. Oh. That's it. <laughs> this, is, this is the experiment number one. Light the candle and describe. But the report should be report should be well. Yeah. You know why there is this blue portion? Why is it hot? Is it cold? I don't know. You can do a lot of experiments yeah, right. and write a good write. Oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah, it's not like a min type experiment. Do this, do this, find that. No, it's not like that. You do your own. Nice. Okay, and the biology book was incredible. It had two chapters. The first chapter is uh, evolution. Second chapter is uh, DNA. The biggest. Yeah. <laughs> and these were written by uh, uh, Thomas Watson, oh. who got the uh, Nobel yeah. Prize for invent, uh, uh, discovering DNA. Yeah. Uh, some five or six years ago, in 1954, wow. <laughs> uh, they discovered that, and they wrote the book uh, under his biology book was under his command. He was one of the authors of the book. And our biology teachers went there and talked to him and learned from him and then came and taught us. Yes, so you really so I was a very lucky the giants. I was very lucky to be a student at that time in that high school. So that's one of my lucks, I should say. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and the, uh, this book, the, the other three, the four books, uh, total of four books, and the three books, uh, you know, when these books are ready, uh, in the federal government in the United States sent these books to everybody in the United States, all districts. They said they, had, they do not have the authority to impose the books on schools. Mm, yeah. Only thing they can say they can offer. So, there are, I don't know how many districts there are in the United States, but uh, some of them adopted the, some of the books, but the biology book was adopted in no district in the United States. Oh. The reason is because there was evolution inside. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> and then when, uh, and of course, Thomas Watson was very disappointed because his, his book it's was awesome. not being taught in any school. But uh, at the time, uh, Ankara Fenisesi said, we will take this book and, uh, uh, and use it. Yeah. And so it was the first high school in the world to, oh. to teach DNA and evolution in the, in the high school level. And it was so exciting that Thomas Watson, the Nobel laureate, came to Ankara and visited our high school. Did you have a chance to meet him? No, actually, this, this happened a year before I entered. Oh, no. <laughs> but still, yeah. Mm. I know, I saw the pictures of him visiting mm. the high school, uh, but I, I wasn't in, in the high school at that year. I see. And um, how did so, your interest evolve? So, so I, I, I really liked uh, chemistry. Mm -hmm. I was thinking to be become a chemist. Yeah. Uh, I like also physics. Mm -hmm. I was thinking, should I become physicist or chemist? Uh, yeah. But in the third year, we had an elective course, electronics. 
Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Fourth year electronics course. Yeah. And we had kids that had come from the United States. Mm -hmm. At the time, even though transistors were invented some 10 years ago, uh, uh, the kits, electronic kits that they had was tubes, vacuum tubes. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, uh, and at the time, actually, in the high school, I started uh, experimenting with transistors wow. uh, as a hobby. So electronics was hobby? something uh, that I tried to learn. Sometimes I learned, sometimes I didn't, and so on. And then I... Um, when this electronics, of course, I took that course. Mm -hmm. I learned something, not much, because yeah. I knew most of them already. Uh, but I, at that time, I decided to be electrical engineer. Mm -hmm. You know, it's uh, anyway. So uh, the electrical course changed your perspective on the. Uh, yeah, in the high school, uh, my hobby actually directed me towards that direction. I was building small radios. You know, yeah. and as I said, at the time there was nothing uh, a young youngster can do. There was no. You know, uh, uh, internet. There was no Netflix. There was no. There was, yeah. there was no Spotify. Nothing, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I was uh, the the stuff that I'm uh, trying to build, and that was a, a Turkish radio amateurs uh, uh, monthly journal. I was getting that, and I was trying to build what the stuff that's in it. And who was providing you with the tools? Yourself? Well, I didn't have tools. My, you know, my allowance. Uh, you know, using my allowance. I remember, I bought my first transistor using one one month's allowance. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. you can see the price difference now. Now the transistors are dirt cheap, but at the time yeah. it was expensive. Sure. And so I, I invested on my own. I see. And. Um, you have graduated from University of Metro with 4 GPA, which everybody talks about. Uh, what are some tips you can give for those who are trying to do the same? And what kind of sacrifices did you have to make in order to achieve this? Well, it turns out that I wasn't uh, a person that's, that was studying very hard, mm. but I was. Uh, you know, when, I, when, when my friends asked me some questions, mm -hmm. I was helping them. Right. And when I'm trying to teach them something, I was learning even better. Yeah. So uh, there I uh, really loved teaching. So not just science, but teaching was also uh, yeah, okay. something I liked. Mm -hmm. Because uh, my, my friends uh, asked me questions and I would teach them something. And that was, that was great. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I don't remember, actually, uh, at Metro at the time, we didn't have homework assignments. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't remember ever uh, studying past 9 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Said <laughs> <Except> for us. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, I think, like, uh, you know, if you are motivated to learn things, that's an important thing. So, you have to like what you're doing. Yeah, and that, uh, that brings, uh, I think, success. Yeah, definitely.
Um, but what else? I mean, um, you can study hard, you can also have the joy of doing it, but you know, sometimes you can't really achieve what you want there. Do you have some insight into how to achieve under situations like this? Let me tell you one story again, again about electronics. In the high school, I was building a circuit that, that's coming from this uh, monthly journal. You know, the, the one transistor radio. It works so great. Just one transistor and it works nice. Yeah. Incredible. You can take far away stations, uh, shortwave radio station, shortwave radio broadcast. At the time, remember, there was no internet. Yeah. The only external uh, information that you can hear is radio. radio. Yeah. There is no TV. Mm -hmm. Just, just radio. <laughs> so radio was very interesting at the time. Mm -hmm. So I built this radio, shortwave radio. It was working so great, but I didn't know how it worked. I had no idea what it worked. Yeah, you just assembled it. I assembled it, tuned it, and it works. But I'm very curious how it works. So when I uh, was uh, when I went to the uh, university, Middle East Technical University, Electrical Engineering, I said, "Oh, I'll ask my uh, professors." I asked them how, how does it work. <laughs> so in my first week, I went to a professor of electronics and I said, "Can you tell me how this thing works?" He has no idea. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> he has no idea. How is that possible, though? It's 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 an, um, yeah. He had no idea. <laughs> okay. Not that he's uh, he's not good. Yeah. But he just didn't know it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I said, okay, nobody knows here, but maybe in the lab, and the metro has a great library. So I went there. So I went there and I said, I'll find out how this thing works. Mm -hmm. I went through all the books. The, none of the books explains how this thing works. But there is a mention of a 1920 paper okay. that says, it explains how this thing works. Mm -hmm. But 1920 paper, yes, you cannot, uh, <laughs> yeah. in, uh, in uh, Metro Library didn't have those. Uh, ah, yeah, yeah. And you cannot access, remember, there is no uh, internet. There is, you cannot access anything like yeah, in our library. You go to the Amateur University. And yes, uh, it's, it's impossible. So uh, it, it's just not there. Mm -hmm. uh, Things after the 1960s were in the library, but not in 1920s. Yes. So I tried to learn, but I never learned it in my oh. until I graduated. <laughs> then I applied to uh, for uh, uh, masters and PhD studies in the United States after graduation, <laughs> and I uh, made my applications to three universities: MIT, Stanford, Caltech. Oh, yeah, the best ones, sure. Mm. I remember typing my CD in a uh, mechanical type, <laughs> each one separately. <laughs> of course. And then uh, I got accepted from all three. Awesome. Uh, they were offering scholarships and so on. Uh, but 
I don't know which one to go. Yeah, of course. How did you say? Well, I went to the uh, Metro's library, and they had uh, uh, catalogs of the universities. I took the catalog of uh, Caltech, it was thin. I said, no, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I, went, I looked at the uh, Stanford's uh, catalog, it was pretty thick and it had uh, lots of things inside, many courses, many departments, oh, I like that. And a ni nice picture in front of the campus. And then I looked at the MIT's catalog, that was also big. But the uh, course labeling system was different. You didn't like that. I didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the uh, Stanford's uh, course labeling system was like a metrics, you know, EE uh, 201. Yeah. Something like that. And Stanford's also like that. <laughs> but uh, MIT's was different. They, they, they had just these numbers. And you, that's but, how you decided. Uh, that's how I decided. <laughs> <laughs> what a different life it could have been, wow. Yes, it's, it's, uh, so I went to Stanford, and I think in the first week, I went to the library mm -hmm. to find how this radio works. Radio works. Mm -hmm. And this time you did? Uh, well, then I, uh, I went to the library and said, I want, I want to, uh, the, that journal's uh, uh, 1920 versions were not in the regular open access portion. It was in the, uh, uh, you know, in the storage, storage, storage. Okay. because it's very old. Mm -hmm. uh, but there is a way of doing it. You have to fill a form. You have to give the name of the paper, uh, and then uh, pay, pay for the photocopy cost. Then they they'll give it to you. They'll. Okay. So in two days after that, I got the. Uh, you got the paper. I got the paper. Oh, yeah. so I started reading. Wow, it was so genius. <laughs> and you find that? Yes, then I learned how that thing works. Okay, okay. great, sir. Um, you, you have also worked on both academy and industry after, after graduation. Um, what can you tell me about the similarities and differences? What kind of skills do they specifically require? And which one did you like the most? Well, uh, um, after getting my PhD, mm -hmm. uh, and by the way, I, I worked with a very great scientist. He was my mentor mm -hmm. and great human, great human being. Not just a great scientist, also a great human being. Yes. Uh, so it's very important. And after graduation, he actually, uh, he helped me find a job, mm -hmm. but he wanted me to also continue with him working as a postdoc. Oh. Uh, so I... Uh, he, yeah, he, he found, uh, he uh, recommended me to Bell Labs. Uh, Bell Labs was at the time uh, top um, uh, laboratory in the private sector. Mm -hmm. you know, Bell Labs is the one that invented the transistor and yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, many things. They had a scientific journal of their own. Yeah, very very, it's very, still this IP. No, not, not anymore. Oh. But at the time, it was a yeah. great place. So I went there, uh, and uh, they offered me a job. But somehow, I didn't like uh, 
the radio. Uh, the, no, I didn't like the the subject area that they asked me to work on. Ah, yeah. I didn't like it. What was it? Do you remember? Uh, I, 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 it was in. Uh, um, it was uh, image processing. Image processing. I had uh, very little information about that at the time, and they asked me to work on image processing because uh, I had experience with microcomputers and computers because uh, I was in the uh, Bay Area in the uh, uh, what's now called Silicon Valley uh, just when uh, you know the microprocessor was being invented and. Uh, uh, Bill Gates was developing his uh, Microsoft and uh, Apple was just, <laughs> yeah. I was there in the very same region <laughs> at the very same time. Uh, and also I was interested in building uh, um, things, so I actually built a microprocessor, a microcomputer of my own. And uh, I took the first microprocessor class given in Stanford by an Intel engineer. None of the professors knew how it worked. But, so they invited that Intel engineer, taught us. So I took the first class, that was in 1976. Um, so I knew also about you know computing, programming, and that sort of thing. Uh, in addition to the, my, uh, 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 in, in a, well, it's more. I I uh, did my uh, PhD in applied physics lab, mm -hmm. so it's somewhere between physics and electrical engineering. Anyway, after graduation, I went to HP Labs. Uh, HP is another important company, and that was the research lab of their uh, company. Mm -hmm. And I worked there uh, for one year, and uh, I finished the uh, project that I was assigned. You did your PhD in one year? No, no, no. Uh, HP Labs. This is after my. I finished my PhD. I, I got my uh, MS and PhD in four years. Mm -hmm. But after getting a, a PhD. Uh, in 1978, uh, I worked uh, one year as a postdoc at Stanford. Mm -hmm. Then I worked at HP Labs. I see. Okay. But after that, I I decided to return. Mm -hmm. I was the probably the only person who returns to Turkey at the time. Yeah. They said, Why are you returning? <laughs> Did you always know we knew you were going back? Or? I always knew that I was going to come back. Okay. And, and looking back, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I did come back. Yeah, sure, the answer. But um, how, how do you take that decision? And do you recommend others to do the same? Or? Well, uh, I, I, they, that's their own decision. Yeah, of course. Everybody makes their own decision. But you are happy that you did. Yes, yes, okay. I'm very happy that I did. Um, can you tell me about the experience in Stanford in general? And, um, which difference do we have to Stanford, who we are trying to look up to, I guess, as a university? Uh, I think, uh, you know, our Ali uh, um, uh, is also a Stanford graduate. Yeah. And when Beacon was being founded, uh, many things uh, are uh, taken from Stanford. Yeah, sure. Inspiration, uh, of course. Uh, like uh, Stanford has a shopping center, we have a shopping center. Uh, 
okay, to support the university. Yeah. Income supports the university. Stanford's catalog and our catalog are similar yeah. in, in size and looks and so on. Um, there, uh, so we, uh, we have uh, been inspired by Stanford. So uh, when you look at the difficulty of courses and stuff like that, and that's also very similar. So when our graduates go to these top universities, they don't uh, feel like things are very hard. They say, oh, this is yeah, similar to similar. what we are doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's how it's supposed to be, I guess. Um, I, even just before coming, I am still quite heard how great your lectures are. Um, what, what do you do differently and um, what advice can you give to the new teachers? Well, uh, students? Uh, having uh, students interested and keeping them, That's making it. them learn in the classroom is an important thing. I learned this from one of my professors at Stanford when I was taking statistics course yeah. uh, during summer. During the hot summer, uh, it was a summer course, so it's half as long. That means there are twice as many uh, classes oh, per week. Okay. Yes. And it's statistics, <laughs> not necessarily very yes. uh, entertaining. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this guy, this professor, made us listen to him every little second. How did he do that? Because he himself was interested, I guess. Well, he was, of course, very uh, motivated and so on, but there was some technique that he was using. Okay. And this is the technique I'm using now, right. uh, still. What is it? And, and it is that, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm writing something on the board, mm -hmm. now, right now, I'm using my uh, mm, pad to write on the uh, board. Mm -hmm. uh, I asked the students, one by one, next, next, next. What do I write next? They tell me what to, what to write next. Okay. And they know, I don't have to call their names, they, I just say next, and the next guy tells me what, what the next term is. Wow. Uh, and then next, and then next, every, you know, in one hour or two hours, the whole class needs to answer. Participate, yeah. Participate, and they need to be <laughs> yeah. <On edge. laughs> they have to be watching. You know, I don't, I don't give grades to this. Yeah, yeah. No grades, but but still there is some pressure. <laughs> there is some, you know, peer pressure. You know, you say, oh, I don't know, and so on. Mm -hmm. Well, if they hesitate, then I move to the next person. Yeah, it's okay, but yeah. uh, of course they don't want to be in that situation, so they uh, try to <laughs> understand what's going on, so they follow. That's, that's so, exactly perfect. Yeah. So then this is what makes you know, everybody. <laughs> everybody. In my class, there's no student who's looking at the uh, uh, their cell phone. Yeah. Impossible. <laughs> yeah, um, you have been our rector for twelve years from 2010 to 2022. Uh, what was it like to be in charge of the university? And what are the best and worst parts of being a rector? Being a rector is very difficult. Yeah, I can. It's, uh, I can. <clears throat> um, but probably I can't. <laughs> it's it's uh, not something to be... Uh, uh, not something to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, you don't want to be a rector, right? I mean, <laughs> if you want to be a scientist, be a scientist. Being a rector is uh, difficult. 
because you are always the bad guy. Yes. Uh, the, the reason is when somebody asks for something, if it's already within the rules, it will be done yes. by someone else before it comes to me. Sure. The only things that comes to me are the ones that are not they require rejection. Yeah. They require rejection. <laughs> but if they get rejection, 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 they go come to me, mm-hmm. and I have to also reject. Yes. And so I'm always the bad guy. I see. I see. So you're never a good person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine that. And um, what were the decisions you were taking? With so if you look like at what types of so if you look at Ekshisuzik about me, uh, yeah, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do that to everybody. Though. They they will, uh, you know. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, I have no uh, objection. They may be right in some of the things, but uh, it's a part of being elected. Yeah, yeah. And with what kind of requests were there that you reject or didn't? I don't know. Like, like what kind of stuff comes to you when you're elected? Well, uh, I don't know. Someone uh, gets a disciplinary action, uh-huh. and they get. Uh, uh, they have to leave the university for uh, one week, and his yes. father calls me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> His father may be an influential person. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to explain them politely yeah, why this is important. Yes. So you have to be polite to them mm-hmm. while uh, well, still, re- still, still rejecting it. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's it's a difficult job. Yeah, surely. And um, what were the big decisions that changed the university that you have taken? Or do you have any examples of such? Well, uh, I, uh, I was rector when this COVID came. Yes, for example. When the COVID started, I said, ah, what are we going to do? And, and then um, we, we, uh, we need to, to convert the whole education system to uh, online education. Um, and we did that in three days. Yeah, that was actually a success. Three days. And how we we could do that? Well, actually, the Beacon Computer Center worked day and night Mm -hmm. to achieve that. And uh, we said, okay, what are we going to do this? And I uh, looked in the internet, and I found something called Zoom. (laughs) Now everybody knows it. (laughs) I said, okay, we need the license to Zoom. Uh, I had a university uh, credit card oh. as a rector. <laughs> so using that, I bought licenses of Zoom. Just yourself. Yes, <laughs> but that was that wasn't enough because the uh, you know the upper limit of the university's uh, credit card was filled up, and I used my own. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh. And we bought uh, the licenses. And then uh, I started learning how to use it, mm-hmm. how are we going to use it, and so on. Uh, uh, I tried because I'm also a teacher. I was also teaching, mm-hmm. so being a teacher helped in that respect. Yeah, of course. Because, because I was teaching, because I was teaching my regular uh, half load of regular uh, professors mm-hmm. as a as a rector of the university. Mm-hmm. 
In many universities, rectors don't teach, but I said I will teach because yeah, I, I want to. I want to keep, one thing I like it, and the other is I want to keep in touch with students oh, yeah. and find out what the difficulties are and so on. And then, once I learned how, how this is being done, then uh, and that weekend, I made Zoom meetings with uh, groups. I think each at a, uh, 200 at a time. 200 uh, instructors. I sent them email. Okay. Uh, look, I want to have a meeting. Just click on this thing, download this Zoom link, and then sure. get in the Zoom and just listen to me. So in those meetings, I explained how the Zoom is going to be used in the lectures. Okay. And that weekend, I talked to all faculty members. And, and then in three days, and in the meantime, uh, the uh, university uh, computer center worked day and night to yeah. convert the system so that you yes. know, the students get the links and blah blah, everything else. Yeah. And then, so three days later, we were able to start. We were the first university in Turkey to start online education. Like that. Yeah, I know. But uh, I remember people being disappointed that Bitcamp was doing this, but yeah, that was the right decision at the time for sure, and it was quite fast. So yeah, I congratulate everyone also in the Bitcamp um, computer center. Yes, computer center did a great job at the time. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, <clears throat> uh, then uh, after that was the. Uh, 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 spring semester of 2020. Mm -hmm. In the fall semester, you know, we were getting for fall semester. Uh, I, I, I tried to find out what technologies are available. Mm -hmm. uh, and I learned about a path that you can connect to a PC uh, yes. and write with a, not a, a Pen, regular pen, not regular pen, it's all pen. Yeah, tape, uh, Something, a tablet, but without the screen. Mm -hmm. You know, you could use, of course, Apple's iPad to write on yeah. Apple iPad and then reflect it on Zoom. Mm -hmm. uh, but not everybody had iPads. Yeah, sure. So I found this solution. Uh, and then, uh, actually, I bought that, uh, this is called Vacom tablet. I bought that tablet about 10 years ago, before the COVID crisis, uh, for another reason, to be able to write on the uh, PDF files and so on. Ah, yes. Uh, but I found it very difficult to use, because my writing was horrible <laughs> when I used that. Sure. Uh, it was horrible. It was like, you know, uh, elementary school, uh, first graders writing. Uh, not, not very readable. Yeah. So, I threw the, at the time, after 10 years ago, I put that aside. I didn't use it. But then, I, on the internet, I learned that people are using it. <laughs> so, I took it back from, uh, from the, uh, uh, from where, where it was, and then I plugged it in and I started trying different programs, and then after about five or six hours, I noticed that my writing is being improved, is improved. <laughs> because it's a different kind of writing, you know. Uh, to write this, you look at the screen and write. It's not like, like this. 
I see. So it's, it's, it's not like an iPad writing. Mm -hmm. In an iPad, you, you write and know what you, see. Yeah. You, you see exactly what you wrote. Mm -hmm. But here, you write it on the screen. So the screen is over yeah. here, but you write it over there. So it's a different kind of writing. And uh, after five or six hours of uh, you know, yeah. trying out different things, I, I noticed that my writing has improved, has improved. So I said, ah, this is the way it is. And it was relatively inexpensive. So I again showed it to faculty members, told, asked them, if you want one, we'll buy it for you. Okay. So university bought all Baycom tablets in Turkey. Yeah, I, I remember, I remember that. And also I remember people getting microphones in one day. Yes, yes. It was also... Yeah, we, we bought, uh, of course, uh, cameras, mm -hmm. you know, that to be connected, yeah, yeah, to be connected to the uh, computers. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the time, I think we bought all the cameras in Turkey. <laughs> and the other, that's why other universities fell behind. <laughs> Yeah, there, there is some competition there. Um, but what else? Are, are there any other big decisions that you have taken or...? Yeah, well, there are, uh, of course, many, uh, many decisions that you have to take as a, uh, as a uh, rector. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the decisions that we took was to impose a uh, uh, summer practice requirement for all departments. Ah, yes, yes, that's, that was a good Right now you are in physics and you have the... Uh, yeah. Yes, but uh, I, I think uh, maybe 10 years ago, 12 years ago, there was no... Okay. It was a requirement only for few departments. Mm -hmm. Engineering yeah. and a few other departments. Applied, yes. Applied, but we said we'll do this for all departments. So that was something... Uh, and it, I think it helps people learn what's going on in the industry. Yeah. Plus, it helps them in finding jobs later. <laughs> okay. And then uh, uh, we had uh, we had some changes in the uh, additional courses mm -hmm. because I want uh, I wanted the students to extracurricular activities. Yes. That's so right. these, uh, this course uh, currently a mandatory course for all students. Uh, GE 201 or 250 or something. Yeah. That's something, uh, uh, yeah, another uh, thing that we added to curriculum of all departments. That's actually what keeps clubs alive right now. Yes. I can say. Plus, uh, I think the, um, we have uh, the GE 100, mm -hmm. which is the university entrance thing. Yes, uh, the <laughs> that I, um, that was in, in COVID times, it was very difficult to like, collect points. Collect the points, so yeah, that's one of the courses that I didn't do well on. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which okay. is interesting, yeah. And then, um, well, a number of things like, uh, I don't know, I tried to improve the sports activities. So, sports way of life now, there's a program oh, called. Yes. So, that was your Yeah, so I said, I like to do this. Yeah. yeah. And another thing I can say is the dormitory, that we dormitory sports salon, I guess, uh, that's one of the best ones in 
like everywhere yes. right now. And, and it's called dormitory, uh, <laughs> dormitory sports hall. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is a reason for it. Why? Because when I was a student at Middle East Technical University, I was interested in sports. Mm -hmm. And the uh, Middle East Technical University had a great uh, sports hall. Yeah, but I was never able to enter. Enter. Why not? Because each time I, you know, after the class, I go there. Uh, uh, school team, <laughs> university teams. Uh, filled up always. They, they they filled up all the major hours. I was never <laughs> able to play anything. <laughs> yeah, you. So I said, uh, that's not gonna. Happen. That's not. We uh, will keep the uh, sports hall open to all students. Mm -hmm. All the time, yes. and the uh, university sports team is not going to be able to reserve a space there. I see. Yeah. So I that's a result of my uh, experience. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that. Really, thank you for that. Um, this is. Uh, are you you stopped being a lecturer in 2022 mm -hmm. after COVID ended and things kind of relaxed? Um, how did you take the decision? And well, actually, uh, I had to take. It's you not can. my decision. Yeah, it's, twelve years is the longest. Uh, uh, it's uh, my age. Ah. When you exceed uh, sixty-seven, mm. you can no longer be appointed director. But I think twelve years is long enough. Yes. And it was also a good time <laughs> to uh, to hand over to another so, great director, yeah. uh, Kushat Aydan now. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he's doing a better job than I did, and so it's uh, oh. it's better to change faces yeah, once in a while. Um, I do not mean to question you in any way with this next question I have. Um, I only want to understand the approaches you have taken and the reasons behind them. A lot of people also said before this interview to me, um, there is there is a minority more larger than a minority that feel unhappy about the university. Um, I, I'm not even sure I agree with some ways and yeah, that's that's okay because nothing is of course perfect. But what do you think about that? What can be the reasons why this is so and what can be done to make it better? Do you have any insight? Well, there are always complaints. Yes. It's difficult, uh, you know, uh, to uh, cover everybody's needs. For example, one of the most, uh, um, the hardest, one of the hardest subjects is the food court. Mm -hmm. You know, why is it expensive? Yes. Stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, okay. that's a usual complaint. It's a usual complaint. <laughs> well, the costs go up. Mm -hmm. You know, we, uh, we uh, subsidize. Yes. Half of the cost for students. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody else pays twice the price as yeah. students, and uh, uh, students still, still complain. <laughs> well, I mean, you can you can uh, see, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, there is nothing I can do about that because we're not government. Yeah. We make our, uh, you know, we have to get along with our own money. We're not printing money, right? We yeah. have to uh, earn money. And part of it is paid by students, and yes. part of it is paid by the companies that our uh, great, great founder, Isandu Ramaji, uh, yeah. founded many years ago, some 40 years ago. And these companies make money 
yeah. and their money comes to university. I see. But uh, after all, at the end of the year, we have to cover our expenses. Yes. So the students also, uh, many students are on scholarship. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I know the prices are high, but we have to pay our great uh, professors. Yes, yes. They have to get decent salaries. Uh, and they have to have a good fa uh, your family life so that they can stay, still stay in the country. Yeah, of course. Of so course. It's, very important. Very important. it's very important that we keep... In, in the last 36 years, we never uh, delayed one, even one day the salaries. Yes. The salaries are always paid on the last working day of the month. Yeah. It was never a delay. You know, we never said, okay, we, we don't have money now, we'll pay it on Monday. We never said that. Yeah. So yeah. that's important. So financial soundness of the university is very important. Yeah. And of course, many, many uh, uh, complaints related to money. Yeah, of course. Why is the university so expensive? Yeah, right. Well, we have to pay our uh, faculty members, we have to pay our uh, secretaries, we have to pay our, uh, I don't know, uh, um, security staff, we need to pay our uh, gardeners. Yeah, of course. Uh, university has a big campus. Yeah. It's uh, three, 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 three square kilometers, might, must be taken care of. We have to pay the security staff. Sure. Uh, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think, and we have to keep them happy. Yeah, yeah. Right? They have to feel like they are part of the university. The university doesn't belong to anybody. It's a, it's a public entity, sure. right? But it doesn't get any money from government. Yeah. So, but yes. many complaints have to do with money. Yeah, that's I know. That I know. But I'm not only asking about money. Some people complain about the uh, course requirements being too much. But I guess you you have taken that from Stanford, so... Well, uh, you know, they will appreciate it when they graduate. Uh, yeah. When they go to, so, uh, you know, uh, when they start working, they realize that how much they learned, mm -hmm. how much they earned in the university. So you say in, in So, uh, you know, our alumni, mm -hmm. they say, oh, we were complaining when we were uh, studying, but now uh, we know why. Mm -hmm. So they will be uh, happy that they they studied in this uh, difficult with these difficult courses, mm -hmm. but it's an investment well, in their life. Yeah, that I agree. But um, do you think um, did you make them um, harder, or I don't know? Did you have any influence? Some people say. Uh, he made the courses harder. How can I make? <laughs> yeah. How can I make? There are three thousand courses <laughs> in the university. How can I make them harder? I don't know. You know I have. People say this is the impression they have. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's true. Okay, that's it. But I asked. I asked faculty members mm -hmm. uh, to assign uh, homework assignments. Mm -hmm. That's true. Okay. I mean. Uh, because homework assignments make you learn, and the projects. We also ask yes. all departments to have a graduation project. Yes, that's uh, helps. You know, a graduation project is something that requires a lot of time, a lot of work, but you learn a lot. 
Yeah, surely. I mean, uh, projects, plus, you know, it helps you build your CV. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you write your CV, you have, to have, you have sure. to have something to write there. Mm -hmm. So I did this. Yeah. And actually, uh, we have a system. It's not being used much now, but I use it anyway. At the end of course, it, it, the students uh, uh, make a, a three-minute video of their project and upload it to YouTube. Yeah, we still have those. In some courses, do you do that? Yeah, yeah. And then uh, this, uh, these uh, links, YouTube, YouTube links, mm -hmm. are lines in your CV. Yeah. And when you apply, they'll they click and find out what you did. <laughs> yeah, that's actually not too bad, I should say. Uh, since you brought up them, I should also ask. Uh, I have seen a recent article of yours about a new way of getting funding for universities that are in developing countries. Uh, can you explain the problem? There and what is the solution you have come up with? Well, it's not the solution I come up with, it's the solution our founders come up with. Okay. Uh, this solution was before founding the university, he, he set up companies. Mm -hmm. Some of them are the first in Turkey, like he made the first uh, uh, furniture company in Turkey. Yeah. In, early 70s. At the time, there was no big furniture company. Mm -hmm. So Tepe Mobilia at the time was the first big furniture yeah. company. Uh, did you know him, by the way, Isandor Mojir? Well, I, he invited me ah. when I was at the ah. Middle East Technical University. Uh, he invited me to begin. At the time, there was just one building, uh, which is the library building. Uh, he was, his office was there, and he invited me, and... Uh, While you were an undergraduate? No, no, no. Uh, I, when I was a faculty member at Med Middle East Technical University. Okay, right. Because when I returned to Turkey in 1980, Bilkent University was not present then. I see. I, I became a faculty member at Middle East Technical University, uh, and he invited me, yeah. and then he offered me the chairperson uh, position for the electrical engineering department. Okay. And he explained me about his vision for making a research university. Wow. He said, oh, I'll have this there, I'll have that there. Oh, yeah. This is so great, very yeah. visionary person. Uh -huh. I said, okay, I'll come. Okay. So I, I left uh, Middle East Technical University and came to BCAT, which had only one building. <laughs> and the, other, the only other building was still under construction. <laughs> Yeah. The, what's, what's now engineering building, e-building, was under construction. So you took a leap of faith? No, uh, yeah, well, I, I believed him. So I came to Bicat uh, University and I, I became one of the first uh, five or six faculty members. Wow, okay. Um, in, in the 12 years that you worked, you, you probably have seen a shift in student profile and you were probably collecting out of statistics. Did you did you observe anything here? Anything you know, Anything better? Well, our uh, the incoming students are getting better and better. Okay. So I look at the 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 measure I was looking at was the median hmm. uh, entrance ranking. Okay. You know, some two, uh, two, some two thousand two hundred students enter uh, Bilkent University every year. 
what is the ranking of the median student? You know what median is. Yeah. Uh, like uh, if there are 211, not the most frequent, uh, it's the middle, yeah. middle students. Okay. okay. So if there are 2200 students, what is the ranking of the 1100 students? The middle students. Yeah. It's a good indication. Sure. You know, there may be exceptions. Mm -hmm. For example, we may be getting very top students. That doesn't count. Or we may be getting or some. Uh, for example, this year, uh, because of the uh, uh, earthquake uh, condition, we have some earthquake students. Yeah, sure. They had a special quota. Mm -hmm. So uh, there may be exceptions, yeah. but the 1100 student is a very stable one mm -hmm. in terms of ranking. And that ranking improved greatly. I see. So it, it was some uh, 35,000, mm -hmm. now it's 16,000. I see. Um, also, a lot of weekends, um, rankings and the job findings after graduation is very hard. Um, do you do anything to ensure that except the projects that you mentioned and summer practice? Well, I think. Uh, the employers, after graduation, uh, see, appreciate the BCAT graduates. Yes. They see them and say, ah, oh, we want to get BCAT graduates. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I talk to BCAT graduates, they say, oh, everything, you know, like if there's a presentation, mm -hmm. they ask, you do, because the BCAT students can do, prepare nice presentations yes. and then you know they, they are comfortable with PowerPoint and they, yeah. they are comfortable in their English, right? Uh, but definitely, so English is a big plus. Yes. Uh, uh, one of the difficulties of the university is English prep school. Yeah, that, that uh, also people uh, of complaint. Yeah, they say it's too yeah. difficult. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's too difficult. Yes, it is difficult. I truly don't agree with them in this regard. Uh, but, yeah. they, because unfortunately... Uh, in these times, you should know English. You should know English well. Yes. And our uh, uh, English prep school is holding it tight, <laughs> yeah. right? There's a level that they, you have to achieve before going into university, and that's another big complaint. Yeah. You know, some students come in uh, to our university, spend two years, and still they can't pass it. <laughs> and in that case, unfortunately, we have to let them go to some other university. Yeah. We don't like that, sure. but we have to Why do it. Yeah. Uh, because we don't, we don't like it, because that's also bad, uh, uh, you know, because I, you know, I've seen parents complaining about this. Mm -hmm. They said, oh, we paid Bilgen uh, University for two years, and then uh, you throw us out. Um, but two years is a long time yeah. for, for a language. I mean, except it's well, Russian or <laughs> Japanese or something. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so we keep our standards. Mm -hmm. So this is one of the things that we can do, mm -hmm. and everybody knows it. And another thing, of course, we did in the uh, COVID times is uh, you know these mirrors and stuff. Ah yes, yes. That's well, that also your idea. Yeah, that was my idea. <laughs> People also didn't like, but we got a new in the end, so why complain? <laughs> <laughs> well, the other universities were taking exams, students in the other universities were taking exams with the cameras turned off. Ah, yes, yes, and uh, that didn't turn out well, that uh, won't turn out well. 
I've seen the graduates of those universities applying to us for masters. Yeah. And they they do nothing. Oh no. That's that's a really difficult truth. Yeah. To handle. Um, well, I think Bilkent is struggling with. I don't know. You should know this better, but still, even the even this. Even the universities like we can struggle with getting money and the funding because the economic situation is not very good in Turkey. Um, do you see any other ways of accomplishing this, um, getting the money flow? Well, uh, we are trying to get more money, of course, to the, the, the companies. We have uh, some uh, 20, uh, 30 companies that belong to university. This is unique, yes, yes. unique in the world. Not just in Turkey, unique in the world. These companies do not belong to Dora Maji family or anyone else. It belongs to the university. Right. University is the sole owner of these companies. Yeah. And these companies employ some 30,000 people. And these people know that the money they make goes to education of yeah. Turkey. So they are proud that they are doing something noble, mm -hmm. and they work hard, and they try to make more money. Of course, Turkey uh, economic situation in Turkey is difficult, mm -hmm. but the companies are working hard to make more money for the university. Okay, okay. But uh, financially, we are okay. We are not in debt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? We don't have any debt to uh, banks or anything like that. Yeah, that's uh, good enough. And neither, I guess generate electricity for others. Yes, uh, we, uh, you know, uh, one of the companies is Bilet uh, Energy, which generates electricity for the campus. Plus, the heating comes from the uh, as a byproduct of electricity generation. Yeah. So we are a very, uh, a very self-sustaining uh, yeah. little economy. Uh, plus, we started putting. Uh, um, Sun, uh, ah, yeah, yeah. Solar, uh, cells. solar cells are now being uh, uh, positioned by Bill Energy in different places, yeah, so that we can generate we can, ge we can generate our own electricity. Currently, we are only generating about ten percent of our needs from sun. Yeah, but that's not bad. Yes. It's a good start. It's gonna go higher, I guess. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, let's get to your career. Um, what are the fields of interest you, um, you do? Like, such as AI that is in a recent trend or quantum technologies, what are the fields of interest that you um, use, want to go in, or you would like to go in? Well, uh, I'm uh, almost 70 years old now. <laughs> you know, I'm not in a position to change subjects. Yeah, yeah, but I know, but I know. Okay. That I, I'm, so, not, I'm not suggesting you to change, of uh, course. But. You know, the, uh, of course, new areas are emerging mm -hmm. in electrical engineering. Some areas I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> For example, AI. Mm -hmm. I have no clue. I see. But uh, yesterday, was it yesterday or the day before yesterday, I was on Zoom. Uh, doing a uh, you know research meeting at evening at home, mm -hmm. and there is a new tool now on Zoom. Now you press a button, mm -hmm. and it, uh, it listens to the conversations and makes a summary of the ah, conversations. Yes. 
Yes, but uh, but uh, I think the, it doesn't understand Turkish yet. It, you have to be talking English. <laughs> Our meeting was in English, so it was a good summary. Yeah, perfect. Um, would you? I mean, if you were young again, then would you go? Which one would you go into? Do you do you see any? Well, there are many uh, potential areas that young people uh, should go, mm-hmm. uh, and. I'm not in a position, I shouldn't be suggesting in one particular area. Uh, everybody should, should choose their own, you know, it's their own future. They, should, they should choose whatever uh, potential they see, things that they like, okay? That's the area that they should go in. Motivation is the important part of yeah, being a scientist. Yeah, motivation, sure. Um, do you do you do you have do you still have any projects that you haven't had the chance to bring to life and yeah, that could be because of insufficient uptake or other reasons that you I don't know still would like to or I don't know suggest others to do. Uh, well, uh, quality education is uh, a never-ending, uh, ah, yeah. uh, never-ending um, uh, <laughs> battle. Yes, or, uh, you have to go on the on this trail all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, more you go, more distance there is to cover. Sure. There is never an end. So I think uh, we can always improve our education, sure. and of course, with changing times like this AI thing. How can we use AI in education? Well, yeah. Currently, we're not using it much. Yeah, uh, doing it well. Uh, yeah. We can use AI instead of you know prohibiting use of AI. We can use it because yes. it's part of. And if if we can students learn how to use AI in their daily lives, that's great. Yeah, we should not prohibit use of, uh, of but this, this is something that, uh, you know, our uh, university uh, uh, administration or uh, department chairs or individual faculty members should decide on, on, the, on their own. Yeah, because but in my uh, lecture, uh, AI cannot answer the questions. <laughs> yeah, not yet at least. Not yet at least, you know. I, uh, uh, I asked uh, some questions to AI, uh, chat, chat uh, GPT and so on. Nonsense. <laughs> it's not yet there. If it's improved, would you... Yes, yes. Well, you if, if, there is, if there is an improvement there, and there will be, so, yeah. you know, we should be creative and find new, new ways of using this in, in the education system. Yeah, the exams won't ever be the same, it seems like. Um, which... What kind of path would you take to do more interesting or, I don't know, the, the ones ChatGPT can't answer better, I guess? How would you do that? Do you have any idea? Or homework? Uh, I, I currently don't know how I can use ChatGPT uh, in, in uh, teaching, but, you know, when it comes along, when it improves, I think we'll find ways, new ways of using it. Sure. Uh, currently, I don't know. I see. Okay. Um, as far as I see, you have worked on projects that always sparkled new ones. Um, how did you work on many projects simultaneously? And sometimes after, after a number, projects can be very hard to manage too. 
how did you ensure that balance when you were doing simultaneous projects at once? Well, I was. Um, uh, well, of course, I I I I become an administrator, university administrator, most of my career, mm -hmm. starting from 1986 to the uh, last year. I was an administrator. I was first a chairman, uh, then associate provost, then provost, then rector. Yes. So that took uh, half of my time almost. Maybe more, sometimes more than half of my time. Uh, in the meantime, I was also teaching. Yes. And I was also trying to do projects. Uh, projects are important to learn the real life. You know, if you're not, if if you do projects especially externally supported projects, then you can learn things. And that, uh, what you learned in those projects will be helpful in your teaching and for further research. Uh, so, uh, doing projects is also important, uh, but uh, being a faculty member is a, uh, more than a full-time job. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you, you don't uh, go home and uh, relax, because you always have to do something uh, I always uh, studied, uh, you know, till uh, midnight or sometime later. My students, uh, you know, of course my students, uh, uh, they stay late. Mm -hmm. They send me an email at 2 a.m. in the morning. I answer them yeah. at 2.15. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very good though. So, uh, uh, and they ask, aren't you ever sleeping? <laughs> And you answer? No. <laughs> no, I, I do sleep, of course, but uh, maybe about five hours. Yeah. Okay. And I guess your your study time is, has increased from the young years to. Oh yes, yes, yes. I study now more than what I uh, used to study when I was in uh, university. Wow. <laughs> That's interesting. I I wonder if we are going to be the same. Um, so, you ensured that balance with sleeping less? <laughs> I guess. Well, it's not, uh, you know, when you get older, you tend to sleep less and less. Ah, I see. You know, so if I time. try to sleep more than five hours, I just can't. Oh, okay. I wake up. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, how does one know there's no more questions than answered or no more to do in a particular project uh, that you can I don't know, go into the imaging next, next, next area. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, in a faculty member's life, of course, the interests uh, change. Sure. And there are areas uh, which, mature, which get uh, mature over time, mm -hmm. and it doesn't make sense to make research on that area anymore. So then you switch to another area. Mm -hmm. For such things, actually, our university has a sabbatical system. You know, that means you leave the university for one year ah. and go to another university ah. and make a research there and you stop uh, teaching mm -hmm. during that year. Yeah, of course. But the university still pays you That's while nice. you're away. Uh, and then uh, you start, maybe you get involved with another project, another research area, and then you start working there. So it's uh, something that our university uh, is, uh, uh, I think, our faculty members are using. Did you have any such? I had one. Uh, I had one sabbatical, okay. uh, but before I became an associate provost. 
uh, approach. Before I became a provost, I was one year in, in Stanford. I see. As and a visiting professor. Was so research was then enough that yeah, you went to yeah, another university in Stanford? Yes. So that, that helped me start in two new projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we can go into the projects. Yeah, one, one has to do, uh, because you're a physics student, you might understand, one has to do with atomic force microscopy. Yeah, yeah. I'm okay. to that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other was uh, about uh, um, capacitive micro-machine uh, sensors, the micro-machine, you know, doing uh, mechanics, micro-mechanics on, on uh, silicon. Yes. Mostly yes. Uh, on semiconductors. Uh, so it's called integrated like fingers. Uh, a, 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 like area of uh, MEMS. It's called microelectromechanical systems. Okay. So I started, I was introduced to that area while I was in a sabbatical and I continued to work on that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that helped, I guess. Yes, of course. That and sabbatical helps. Before sabbatical, what were you working on that ended, I guess? Yes, uh, some areas that I worked before that uh, ended. Uh, I started working in new areas. And uh, I was working in uh, um, well, I was uh, one of the uh, the first integrated circuit design mm. of Turkey was done by my students at Bilkent University. First IC of Turkey okay. was um, done by uh, Bilkent students. Can you a little bit go into what integrated circuits are and how they work? Yeah, integrated circuits nowadays, of course, are everywhere. In our uh, cellular phones, there are many integrated circuits. Mm-hmm. Integrated circuits are uh, uh, made from usually from silicon, and they contain nowadays millions and billions of transistors. Yes. Okay. So how to design such things? Yeah. And and that requires special expertise. And I was uh, this is something I didn't learn at Stanford. Yeah. I learned it later on my own. Wow. And I started teaching it. And actually, I must say, I I learned it by teaching it. <laughs> if you want to learn, if you want to learn some new area, take a, 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 you you start teaching a course on that area. You are only a few weeks ahead of students. <laughs> of course, you have to have uh, basic knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. But then you can build on top of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I taught many new courses which I didn't know. Yeah. So in the first year, you know, I was just a few weeks ahead of students, but then uh, later I learned more and more. And probably their questions so also help you. Oh yes, sometimes they ask questions I have no clue. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what how to answer, but then say, oh, I'll answer you later. And I, that night I worked hard and okay. I learned it. The next day I tell them. Perfect. So uh, it's it's always learning. Yeah, definitely. Um, from what I've seen from your article, you have even come up, come up with a theoretical model to explain observed transducer behavior. Can you explain me the transducers and your work with air-coupled transducers and water transmission experiments? 
that you did? Well, this is part of this MEMS uh, experiment. Mm -hmm. I have yeah. uh, a number of papers in that area, mm -hmm. and that has to do with uh, building uh, ultrasonic transducers. Yes. Uh, meaning, ultrasonic means inaudible. Mm -hmm. Fre frequencies higher than what our ears can hear. Yes. Uh, something, you know, our ears can hear for young people up to about 20 kilohertz, mm -hmm. 20,000 hertz. Yeah. But about this, you know, we can't hear. Mosquitoes can hear. <laughs> Bats can hear. Well, yeah. But we can't. Mm -hmm. But if you go even higher, even mosquitoes can't hear. Yes. Yeah, so right? So a yeah. very higher frequency. Mm -hmm. this, this is the frequencies, for example, a megahertz. Yeah. A couple of megahertz. Mm -hmm. When you take an ultrasound scan, many people got ultrasound yeah, scans. Yeah. And this is done by sound waves at higher frequencies. For uh, yeah. to, to see the babies, for example, to see the health of a baby, to yeah. see the heart beating of a baby, you need to use yeah. ultrasound. Mm -hmm. So ultrasound uh, uses, uh, in many uh, current technology, they use piezoelectric transducers, yeah. piezoelectric materials like something called PZT, mm -hmm. uh, uh, a ceramic material that's yeah. piezoelectric, mm -hmm. and that generates sound waves and there's an uh, electronic scanning, yes. phased, phased array, electronic scanning of this. Uh, and that way you can get an image of, let's say, a baby. So the sound waves are focused and the reflected waves are get, get collected by the same uh, transducer. And that then maps onto a screen as in the form of an image. Yes. So the, the points that reflect the energy most, sound energy, are, for example, when there is a change in the uh, density of the material. So for example, if you go from a uh, 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 soft material like or a liquid mm -hmm. to a harder material, then there will be sound reflection, and that reflection will be detected by this uh, uh, transducer. Mm -hmm. And so our research was. Uh, how to make the transducer from silicon ah, yes. rather than from piezoelectric crystals. I see. And uh, they behave differently than you expect? Well, uh, no, it actually makes it uh, less costly to build and more higher performance. Um, and there are now companies uh -huh. uh, who can build handheld ultrasound. Wow. And some of my students are working in that company. Uh, from Beacon. We have a, 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 you know, a, a large presence in that area from Beacon in, yeah. in the world. So many people who work on this area uh, yeah. are, are from Beacon. Most likely. Um, what, is, um, what is the theoretical model that you have come up with then? Because you said that there are no weird behaviors, but you still needed the model to explain what they were doing. Well, of course, we worked on several uh, things, uh, uh, like how to model this, uh, how to model the behavior of such transducers, uh, so that you know it can be easily they can be easily designed. So we had some work. That's uh, uh, Along with my uh, colleagues and my students, uh, we worked on that area. Yeah, and we have uh, some uh, theory developed to model such uh, devices. Um, what was different when looking at PZTs now silicon? What was the difference there? Well, the difference is, of course, in the bandwidth. 
you can make wider bandwidth uh, transducers. Okay. Wider bandwidth means higher resolution in the depth uh, yes. direction. Mm -hmm. So you can get uh, sharper pictures. Sure. And you can also get uh, use higher frequency, which means higher resolution. Mm -hmm. uh, currently, the, the company which is making these handheld uh, ultrasound scanners, it's also very inexpensive. Yeah, that's like uh, about one thousand dollars. You can buy a handheld scanner mm -hmm. which connects to an iPhone. <laughs> so <laughs> iPhone screen shows the ultrasound. I <laughs> Yes, and you have an uh, iPhone connected to a cable uh, wow. to uh, ultrasound. Uh, you know, uh, there's a company which does this in the United States. Yeah, I think that would be. Yes. So it, it, one day it will be something you can buy an ultrasound for your own. Okay. <laughs> That's good. So. But currently, uh, with PZT, the things are very expensive. The instrument is big, and only the hospitals or, uh, you know, specialized places can buy it. Uh, it's an expensive equipment for us currently. Mm -hmm. But with the silicon, uh, with the silicon it's going to get cheaper. And one day, I think, you can buy an ultrasound scanner for your home. Okay. Yeah, maybe at some point medicine will be in the hands of people. Yes, and then it's connected to a, a, a doctor, and doctor will look at the image and say, ah, oh, you need to do this and that. Yeah, I think uh, there will be a lot of, because the world population is getting older and older, mm -hmm. uh, medical technologies will become important, I think. Sure. And it's... Uh, uh, do you find that troubling the population, you think, uh, Older and older. Well, it's it's a the fact of life. Of going, it's, going it's, it's a fact of life. We have to live with it. Sure. We have to learn to live with it. Yeah. I mean, uh, no, uh, but, you cannot you, also, you cannot ask people to make more babies. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, yeah. you, can, you, you have to live with it. Yeah, but the birth rate is trembling for I don't know for the whole of humanity. Yeah, it, 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 it seems it, like yeah, especially in Western world. Uh, in Europe, for example, the uh, the birth rate is uh, gotten down, and actually the populations are down, coming down. Yeah. So they are trying to solve this problem by inviting other More people from other uh, yeah. Middle Eastern countries, African countries, etc. Yeah. Um, do you? I don't know. Do you expect that to be a problem, or will we find a way to live with it somehow? Well, it, it is a problem, one of the problems of humanity. Of course, global warming is the greatest problem. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, there are many uh, problems that you, uh, the world faces. Mm -hmm. uh, do you, since you mentioned AI, there are some people also finding that roping for humanity as a whole. Do you, are you one of those people or do uh, you don't see a problem? Humanity for uh, AI troubling humanity? No. no. Uh, <laughs> AI is not uh, something that will be a trouble. Uh, of course, that, uh, there will be bad uses of every technology. Sure. Every technology has uh, you know, impro inappropriate uses. <laughs> But I don't think uh, uh, you know, AI can be prohibited. <laughs> uh, it will be there, so we need to learn to live with it. And we need to use it in the positive direction. <laughs> Uh, we need to learn it. Sure. Um, you have also improved techniques up to 10 to the minus 3 angstrom with this atomic force microscopy. And the precision was 
really great. And can you tell me how you made that possible and the principles of interdigitated silicon fingers? Well, I'm not an inventor of uh, this technology. I'm one of the uh, uh, first people who worked in that area. Uh, uh, I thought, of course, microscopy, how to yeah. improve, uh, how to improve the resolution, how to detect it well, and so on. Uh, um, I had some, uh, I have some uh, patents on it, and uh, and uh, that these some of these patents were uh, uh, giving the royalty income. So, uh, so <laughs> it's uh, it's nice to receive a check <laughs> but the, the, the royalty income. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's nice sure. because it's a result of your brain work, <laughs> yeah. not uh, you know, not the hard work, but uh, it's, it's a result of your uh, invention. You get you know, a check. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's uh, that's yeah, one of reward. the that's a reward. Uh, well, one of the biggest rewards of uh, uh, being a scientist is when you find something. Yeah, you know, that's even greater. This is a great breakup moment. You know. Yeah, yeah. Actually, this is the Reiko moment, right? <laughs> yeah. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, for me, that usually happens when I'm taking shower in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's usually what happens when I'm taking a shower in the morning. I know how to do it. Yeah, there is. It usually happens either in the bathroom or in the shower or in the hall. I, I didn't ever see a case where it's different. Yeah, this <laughs> happens to me in morning shower. Uh, probably in the evening that's in my... Uh, uh, processing. Uh, processing in my brain. In the morning when I'm taking shower, it comes out. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. And uh, can you tell me a little bit about this interdigitated silicon fingers? How does, how does it work? It's from the pictures I've seen, it's literally similar to fingers, uh, triangular structure, going well, there is a, one uh, by one. Uh, this is something uh, I invented. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a, it's a micro-mechanical, uh, micro-electromechanical structure built from silicon. It's a yes. cantilever mm -hmm. with a sharp tip in front. Yes. So this is the uh, AFM's uh, microscope's tip. Mm -hmm. Very sharp tip, you know, in the, in the tip's uh, sharpness is in the order of uh, angstroms. Uh -huh. And then the position of, as it touches the surface, because it doesn't scratch, yeah. because it's so light, mm -hmm. it's a very thin silicon cantilever that touches the surface. And as, it's, as you scan the surface, it goes up and down. Mm -hmm. And the, the uh, interdigital cantilever that I found is, uh, is uh, how to measure the position of this cantilever in an atomic scale nice. using a laser beam uh, reflected from this interdigitated structure. It generates uh, uh, optical reflection, uh -huh. and from the position, the optical reflection's magnitude, you can determine how much it's deflected. Yeah. Yes. And that way you can make an image. And image that's, what, surface. that's what uh, what's They're called the atomic force uh, a microscope image. Okay. Um, you have been most interested in imaging techniques, acoustic and with atomic force microscopy. Um, what made this interesting for you? Well, acoustic imaging was uh, 
my uh, PhD thesis. Yes. So that was my PhD thesis. I worked on acoustic imaging using even, you know, ultrasound works at about two or three megahertz, five megahertz thereabouts. Mm -hmm. But uh, my mic, is what, uh, you don't get a high resolution. You just can see the, for example, unborn child. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, the dimensions of resolution is, is slightly better than a millimeter. Okay. So yeah. that's the order of resolution mm -hmm. for ultrasound. Yeah. But if you need a microscope, you need micron kind of resolution. Yeah. That means we need to use even higher frequencies. So in my PhD thesis, I used uh, gigahertz to oh. generate sound. Sound yeah. waves at gigahertz, mm -hmm. there the wavelengths are uh, much smaller. For example, at one gigahertz, the wavelength of sound in water is one and a half microns. Oh at 2 gigahertz, it's even less, half as big, mm -hmm. okay, 0.7 microns, 0.75 microns. Yeah. So I built at the time, in my PhD, uh, I built a microscope that uses these very low frequency, very high frequency sound waves to make it generate an image. Okay. And uh, this microscope uh, is still being used. Oh, really? There are companies who are building it and selling it. Acoustic microscopes, because you can see underneath the uh, uh, optically uh, opaque materials. Ah, I optically see. opaque. So it's, it's so it's opaque. front and back. Well, but it's in a microscopic scale. Yeah, yeah. Very small structures, mostly integrated circuits and stuff. Mm -hmm. So you can zoom in and find out what's happening underneath uh, the optically opaque structures, huh. and you can image that. Uh, do, you, do you know when it's used for cells? For uh, it, it was used for uh, also, we used it for uh, biology also. But since most biological cells are also optically transparent, uh, yeah, there, was not a big, there was not a big mm -hmm. uh, advantage in using acoustic waves. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in most uh, materials are optically opaque, sure. uh, the, the light doesn't go through, so using an optical microscope, you cannot see beyond op opaque materials. But with acoustic uh, microscope, you can see what happens underneath. Mm -hmm. And there are companies uh, which built the instrument uh, that uh, belonged to my PhD thesis many years ago. And there are some, I don't know, some Japanese companies right now are still building and selling it. There is a German company uh, building and selling it, and actually its fabrication uh, happens in uh, Sivas. Oh. <laughs> they have an office in Sivas, and they are fabricating this yeah. instrument. Uh, and one day, uh, you know, the owner of this company, a Turkish guy, uh, who owns this German company, uh, but operates in Sivas, he was from Sivas. Uh, and he, he wrote, and he wrote, and he read uh, all my papers and so on. He said, "Ah, yeah." One day he showed me how we are building. I was very surprised that somebody's building yeah. my PhD how nice subject in Sivas. <laughs> <laughs> how nice was it to see the uh, research that you did coming alive? Uh, Forty years ago, fifty years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it was great for you as well. Yes. Wow. Okay. Um, how far do you think can imaging go? You you have been up to ten to minus three angstrom. Do you see it going 
lower and lower. Or, well, you know, imaging is uh, uh, in the frontiers of science. Sure. And, you know, one, one imaging, of course, seeing what's very far, mm -hmm. you know, building big telescopes. Yeah. in the outer space so that we can see what's going in other galaxies and so on. This is one direction. Yes. The other direction is you know, going smaller and smaller and finding out what's happening in the nanometer scale, angstrom scale and so on. So it's a, a research area that you know, people are working on. How can we uh, make things smaller and smaller? Yeah. For example, uh, people are now talking about tra uh, transistors which are uh, nanometer scale. Scale of the transistors are a few yeah, nanometers. A few nanometer transistors mm -hmm. is currently uh, being fabricated. Yeah. And how do you image them? How do you? Uh, well, this is an area that will keep people busy uh, for many years to come. And do you see a technological limits for this, or uh, physical limitations? Well, there is. Uh, people always find new ways of doing things. Yeah. You think you hit a limit, mm -hmm. but then, then you somebody, find comes some, somebody comes along with a bright idea, uh, bright yeah. idea when they are uh, taking a shower, <laughs> and then they, <laughs> then all of a sudden there's a new frontier, <laughs> and the people work in that area uh, for maybe 10 years, 20 years, and then something new comes out. You know, converting a new idea to a new technology takes. 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. I see. Um, how did you solve the problems that you encountered while you were doing the research, research that are only technological? Like, when something didn't work with the circuit, what did you prevent something? Well, uh, you know, when you hit that wall, mm -hmm. you have to work around it. Yes. Go around the wall. You know, when you had hit a wall, and you know, try to struggle to pass the wall, but the wall is big enough that you can't do it. Then you have to find another way of going around the wall. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. You, so you have to be creative in finding new ways of solving things. Do you have particular examples um, where you struggled for a while and then you find a way to go around? Yes, of course. There are many examples. Yeah, many, sure of the, uh, many of the many of the uh, research that I do is, uh, you know, something you, you need to find a solution to something uh, that other people couldn't find, uh, and you have to be creative, mm -hmm. and you find a new solution. Ah, yeah. that's the eureka moment. Mm -hmm. Then uh, you try to realize it. And once it's there, then you publish it. Yes, it's the uh, you know when you publish a paper. This is one of the great joys of being a faculty member. Of course. You have to publish it in a good journal, not just any journal. <laughs> yeah. uh, currently, there, is, uh, there are journals uh, which print whatever you write. Yeah, uh, when, looking great. Right. Uh, yeah. When you pay the money. Mm -hmm. I never publish in those journals. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nobody should. I don't, uh, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> And that was what I was going to ask next. What are the best and worst parts of doing the research for you? Well, uh, worst uh, part of current research uh, uh, arena or being academic life is corruption. Yes. There is uh, unfortunately widespread corruption in academia also. 
people uh, steal other people's works and they publish it as their own. Mm -hmm. Plus they publish the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Uh, they repeat uh, someone else's work and try to publish it. Mm -hmm. And now there, nowadays there are journals which will publish whatever you wrote. Yeah. As long as you pay, they will publish it. So some people have tons of papers, mm -hmm. but all of them are garbage. Yeah. So this is this is uh, unfortunately the universities are ranked according to number of papers they produce, mm -hmm. irregardless of whether the people uh, the papers are good or bad. Yeah. And some some papers some papers some, papers, uh, some journals publish a uh, lot of junk journals, uh, a lot lot of junk papers, and a lot of uh, faculty members in universities and mm -hmm. elsewhere. Not in our university, they yeah. publish a lot of junk papers, mm -hmm. but because the number of papers is high, they are ahead of us. Yes. And so and one of the things that they uh, criticized me while I was, I was being a rector mm -hmm. is how come we uh, uh, reduced our ranking? You know, yeah. when the first year we became uh, the rankings uh, first published, we were 112th in the world. Wow. Great. That was in my uh, second year of uh, rectorship. Mm -hmm. production <laughs> uh, There, of course, people saw that this is an important thing being high in the ranking, and the corruption started, and now we are lower and lower and lower. Okay. And so, if you read other people's criticism about me, they say, uh, this guy, uh, uh, ranking has gone down, intent has gone bad. But that's not the case. Okay. It's, it's just the corruption increased in other places. I see. Uh, this is my opinion. How did you how did you figure out who to who to take you to not like um, if you don't select the faculty members greatly, you are gonna have this corruption as well for sure. So, uh, what are the ways to ensure that's not? Well, in our university, we said uh, you know you shouldn't pay journals to get your paper published. Mm -hmm. Uh, if they are taking it without money, then it's fine. Well, if the, if the journal is accepting your uh, paper without taking money, then it's okay. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so that prevent, uh, of course, that reduced the number of papers that we published. Yes. <laughs> and actually, uh, I was uh, when I was a rector, I was uh, part of the inter-university council. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, don't, I don't remember how many years ago, maybe four, five years ago, I convinced all rectors that they should do the same. Okay. They should, uh, uh, you know, the, any paper that's uh, obtained by paying the mm -hmm. journal should not be counted in anything. Yeah, of course. Uh, they accepted it, mm -hmm. but after uh, after a few years, they couldn't they, they could, uh, <laughs> resist the pressure from yes. faculty members and they removed the rule. But and nowadays, in many universities, people just pay and publish. Yeah, but what if all of the journals at some point go to the money system? I don't, I, or something? I don't think so. I, okay. Uh, well, there will still be journals uh, which, will take. Uh, which will take, uh, you know, there's a conflict of uh, interest mm -hmm. when you pay and publish. Yeah, you know, uh, they have no reason to reject your papers. Mm -hmm. For example, currently I am uh, reviewing a paper by uh, Chinese authors. Mm -hmm. uh, I found many errors. 
so I will report this, and I'll see if it gets uh, if it gets rejected or accepted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of the reviewers. Nice. Sometimes there are. Uh, I spend a lot of time in reviewing papers. Yeah, that's that's a very really important thing. Uh, it's part of being an academic. Yeah. yeah even, have, even in nature, there are some really funny errors that people overlooked. Yeah, I, I spend a lot of time. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I I try to repeat what they've done. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I can find errors, and I then I report this, mm -hmm. uh, and then. Uh, Sometimes the editors are also corrupt. <laughs> and they will, uh, they will publish their friend's paper, even though it's full of errors. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are the main problems in your areas, uh, which you actively try to solve in your brain in the shower? Um, what problems? Well, one of the uh, uh, one of the areas that I'm uh, working on now is how to uh, increase the efficiency of oh. of. of uh, Electronics, so that we, they spend less power yeah. in warming the world. Uh, world. Okay. You know, global warming, <laughs> because nowadays yeah. a significant portion of the global warming comes from uh, uh, base stations. Mm -hmm. You know, base stations. Yeah. Uh, the base stations transmit uh, uh, and talk to our cellular phones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's now a significant portion. With 5G technology, there will be even more of uh, cellular phones and therefore more uh, base stations. Yeah, of course. And how can we improve the efficiency of those devices is an area that I'm working on. So it's also, it also goes into communication? Yes. Okay. And? Um, well, it's basically uh, uh, electronics. Portion which uh, generates analog electronics, which generates the efficiency. Yeah, why is it tricky to do so, increasing the efficiency right now specifically? Well, there is a uh, currently there is an efficiency, uh, maybe around uh, 30 percent. Okay. 40 percent efficiency. Uh, so if you put some energy into your cellular tower, uh, 60 percent goes to heating. 30% goes into electromagnetic waves. Okay. And because it's, it got, it's, it's getting hot, mm -hmm. they need to put also uh, coolers there. Yeah. And that cooler is also taken <laughs> to cool it down. Mm -hmm. So it's a very inefficient operation. You spend a lot of uh, energy yeah. and you basically you heat the world uh, globally. You heat just to be able to transmit that uh, cellular power energy and so the, it's an area that we are working on each time you improve something that's good so which part of this system are you trying to attack the cooling the well i'm trying to uh, attack the, uh, uh, the power amplifier at the end, end of the uh, chain rf power amplifier yeah how do we improve the efficiency okay how do we improve the efficiency mm -hmm. okay um, hopefully you are going to solve that too. Well, I, uh, it's, it's a difficult problem, so yeah, we can maybe contribute a little bit. One percent contribution is also important. Yeah, good enough, for sure. Yeah. Um, you have been very active in the field and you still are. What are your future directions, maybe after this one? 
Well, I'm 70 years old. <laughs> <laughs> but don't expect a lot from me. I'm yeah, you are, you are so very active, though. So I'm, I'm, I will expect. I, I'm, I'm, I'm 70 years old. Okay. Uh, so uh, young people, my students will be doing uh, new things. Yeah. Okay. And um, how did you find this um, getting older? Situation. How uh, how well did you work? How how was your efficiency going up and down? Can you briefly mention that? Well, it's uh, your age is something, and what how you feel is another thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I I feel uh, I don't feel old. Mm-hmm. You know, I, hopefully I will uh, be participating in the uh, uh, Republic Run. Yeah. <laughs> Is it tomorrow I would like something? Yeah, it's tomorrow. Uh, yeah, so I will be there. Uh, no, no, I'm not sure when. Is it? Okay, sometime. Uh, there is a lantern uh, walk. Uh, yeah, too. Lantern walk. <laughs> so I uh, hopefully I'll be there too. Okay. We'll see. Okay. Thank you so much for coming and thank you for indulging my questions. Very nice to meet you. Thank you for uh, inviting me. <laughs>